All right, well, here's a quick review of where we have been in this series, One Giant Leap. What we are saying is that God wants you to take one giant leap, that God wants to massively change your life, that God wants you to be different, that God wants you to approach him differently, that God wants you to see him differently, that God wants you to think about him differently. God wants you to have a far better relationship with him than you have right now. God wants you to take one giant leap. And here's what we all know. You know you need a giant leap forward. You know that you have a big need for a, for a shift in the way you think about God and the way you approach God, the way you live out your faith in relationship with other people that you know you need one giant leap forward. So God wants you to take a giant leap and you know you need one. And the good news about that is that God has it for you. But we don't experience one giant leap by taking a giant leap. We experience one giant leap by taking a small step of faith, by interacting with Jesus, by, change, by slightly changing the way we think and the way we see God and the way we approach God. That happens through one small step of faith or a series of small steps of faith. So, we're, so we've been looking at some interactions that people had with Jesus during his earthly ministry to see what are these small things that lead to massive change in our lives. The first week we've learned that Jesus is the magnet that overcomes the gravity of our sin, meaning he's the only one who can offer forgiveness and he's the only one who can actually lead us out of a life of sin and can lead, lead us in a life free from sin. Then last week, we learned that Jesus came to make clear what couldn't be known before him and still can't be known without him, that he came to show us who God is and what God is like. Now today, as we move into this final episode, final interaction with Jesus, I want us to focus on a word that is not present in the story. It's not found within the narrative that we're going to read today, but it pervades every second of the story that we're going to read today, of these two interactions with Jesus. And the word is hopeless. It's hopeless. See, it's a word that a lot of us, maybe all of us, know the feeling all too well. I don't know what, exactly what comes to your mind when you think about the word, but the way that I think about hopeless is this. Hopeless is when the chance of a good ending to the current situation has been extinguished. You have a current situation, you're looking for a good result, and, when, and hopeless is that moment when you realize this cannot end well, I mean, when this thing started, you thought it would lead somewhere good. And even as things took a difficult turn, you still believed that there was a strong possibility that things would ultimately work out good or for good. And then you held on to hope, thinking that even in the darkest moments, things can still turn around. But now things have turned out so wrong, there doesn't seem to be any chance that this thing will turn out good or will turn out for Good. And I think what's most interesting about the feeling of hopelessness is that people who feel hopeless about a situation or about a relationship or about a job situation, they haven't always felt that way. You haven't always felt that way. I mean, I, I, would, I would dare say the reason that hopelessness hits us so hard is because it wasn't the feeling all along. It wasn't the way you viewed the situation all along. You had hope and then you lost hope. I think we've all felt that at some point. And the biggest reason we've all felt that is that we all have a tendency to put our hopes into things and places and people who have no real hope to offer or who have no lasting hope to offer. So we put our hope in a romantic relationship or in a friendship or in a job or in, or in how school is going or in how family life is going or our finances or our talents or our strengths or our own abilities. And here's the thing. There is nothing wrong with any of those things. In fact, I would say those are all really good things. But here's the thing that you know and hope, here's the thing that maybe we can all realize. Good things make bad sources of hope. 
Good things make bad sources of hope. There's a reason that hope constantly rises and falls if hope is found in any of those things. It's because they're shifting, they're moving, they're inconsistent. See, your relationships ebb and flow, and if your hope rests there, your hope will ebb and flow with the relationships. Your finances are sometimes solid and sometimes shaky. So if your hope is there, your hope will sometimes be solid and will sometimes be shaky. And if any of any of those things without Jesus, look again, they're all good things, but any of those things without Jesus will always leave you shaky, I, I will always leave you on shaky, inconsistent ground looking for hope. And here's why. Here's why. You can't find hope in a Jesusless place but you can always find Jesus in the middle of a hopeless place. You can't find hope in a place where Jesus is not. You can't find lasting hope in a place that Jesus is not. And so if you're looking to anything other than Jesus and Jesus is not involved in the picture, you will not find lasting hope there. But you can always find Jesus at work. You can always find Jesus and therefore find hope in the middle of of a hopeless situation. No matter how good the situation, without Jesus, you will find no lasting hope there. You might find a temporary emotional high, sure, but you will not find a lasting hope there. No matter how bad the situation is, if Jesus is in it with you, there is hope and you can find hope because Jesus is the only legitimate source of hope. So today, it's probable that no story in the entirety of the, of the gospel, the gospel account of Jesus' life shows us this idea of hopelessness, shows us the idea of finding hope only in Jesus better than the story that we're going to read today, these interactions with Jesus today. Let me set it up a little bit of what had been going on heading into the story that we're going to be reading today. Um, Luke 8 is, is this incredibly, incredibly action-packed chapter. Um, in this chapter, Jesus does a little bit of teaching at the beginning. As the, as the chapter goes on, there's this like day and a half, two-day span where Jesus just does these incredible things. He calms the wind and waves with his words. Pretty cool. I mean, that's something that you've never done. I've never done. That's something that only Jesus did. Jesus frees a man from demon possession. And in doing so, he sends a whole herd of pigs insane, which is a crazy story in the Bible. And someday we're going to take a look at that. But like, I mean, this is like, whoa, calm the wind and the waves, freed a man of demon possession who had been driving an entire town insane. And this man's now free and sane and following Jesus. Like that's a pretty good day. That's a pretty good week of ministry leading up to this. That's a pretty good ministry tour. If Jesus was on a ministry tour, like this is a pretty good ministry tour. And that's where we jump in with the story that we're going to be looking at today in Luke 8 chapter verse 40. It says this, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. In other words, people were getting reports of the things that Jesus had done away from home base. And when they, when they, and they're now excited to hear from the man himself, like, well, did that really happen? What was it like when you actually, like, what was it like when the pigs all ran down into the lake? Like what happened there? What was it like? Like when, what did you say that calmed the wind and the way? Like this is like, they've heard the stories. They want to see it for themselves. They want to see what Jesus can do in front of them. So no pressure, Jesus. People have heard that you walk on water, that you have control over the wind and the waves, and that you can turn, you know, an entire herd of pigs insane, uh, and that you can, you know, heal, free people from demon possession. So like, what are you going to do here? Like, what are you going to do here? People are expecting something from Jesus. In verse 41, we're told this, just then a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. 
he fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. Now, based on who he was, based on who he was, Jairus probably shouldn't have come asking Jesus for help. By this point in the story, Jesus had had enough run-ins with religious leaders like Jairus. And Jairus was one of the religious leaders, part of the group that was always chastising and antagonizing Jesus. This is actually, this is a person who probably has no business coming to see Jesus. And this tells us something about what had been going on in this story. This is really telling. Jairus shouldn't be here, but he is. Meaning he has tried everything he can think of to try to get his daughter well already, and it hasn't Worked. I mean, we don't know how long his daughter had actually been sick, but we do know for sure that if he's coming to see Jesus, this guy that his entire group is constantly antagonizing and constantly critiquing and constantly saying, you're not who you claim to be, Jesus wasn't plan A. Like, we know that. Jesus wasn't Jairus's plan A. We know that the family has done everything else they can think of to do, and with no other options and nowhere else to turn, someone went, hey, I mean, like, what do we have to lose? We've heard that Jesus is heading into town today. We've heard he has miraculous powers. We don't know where they come from. We don't believe they come from God, but like maybe, just maybe, he can do for us what no one else can do for us. So go see if Jesus will come on over. Jairus in this moment, is a desperate dad on a mission. He's a little more, in this moment, he's not so much a, a pious priest. He's more like Liam Neeson in the Taken movie. He is on a mission. He has a very specific set of skills. And Jesus, you better come back to my house because my little girl is dying. Matter of fact, I would, I would guess in, this, in, the, in the conversations that we're not necessarily told about, I would imagine Jairus said something like, hey, Jesus, like you got to come with me because I'm not even sure if I'll be let in the house if you're not with me when I get back. Like, you've got to come. You've got to help my little girl. You've got to come. You've got to help my little girl. And here's what's amazing about this. Here's what's amazing about this. Jesus goes. Jesus goes. To this, for, the, for this guy who has no business being with him, Jesus goes. This father is facing the most desperate moment of his life, and Jesus goes. Here's the thing. Jesus chose to walk with a father facing the worst pain he could imagine. Jesus chose to walk with a father facing the worst pain he could imagine. See, we know because of what Jesus did at other times that Jesus could have healed the girl from afar. He could have snapped his fingers and said, just go home, she'll be healed. He could have just announced in front of the whole crowd, hey, just want to let everyone, everyone to know and see what I'm capable of. Little girl be healed. Get well right now. And, and, and she would have. Jesus did that at other times. But Jesus chose to walk with this father. Because while we learned last week that Jesus can repair anything that life has broken, Jesus is more than a repairman. Jesus is more than a repairman. Jesus is more than Mr. Fix-It. Jesus is more than his ability to repair. Jesus is also the compassionate Savior who walks with you in the pain, in the brokenness, in the damaged areas of life, through the pain, through the storm, in the darkness, through the hopelessness. Jesus walks with you. Jesus is present in the midst of pain. He was present in the midst of Jairus's pain. He was willing to walk with Jairus. And here's the good news for you and for me. Jesus will walk with you when you face the darkest moments 
of life. Jesus will walk with you and he'll walk with me when we face the darkest moments of life. When you face loss, Jesus will walk with you. When you feel like you don't have the friendships that you always hoped for, Jesus will walk with you. When you feel like your career has hit a dead end, Jesus will walk with you. And when you face a long recovery process that you don't know if you have the strength for, Jesus will walk with you. And you might think, well, well, that's nice, but that doesn't really change anything about my situation. Oh, no, 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 no. That changes everything about the situation. Because instead of walking hopeless, you walk with the only legitimate source of hope. You walk with your Savior. You walk with Jesus. Now, the story goes on. When he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. The crowds were nearly crushing Jesus. They're going like, hey, Jesus, where are we going? It's good to have you back. Why are we walking so fast? Like, like, like they're just like pressing on Jesus. And it says this in verse 43, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Now, this is fascinating how this is worded. And why part of this is fascinating is because of who wrote it. Again, what, what book are we reading from? We're reading from the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a follower of Jesus. He was an eyewitness of many of the incredible miracles within the early, early church. But his occupation, what he did for a living, how he made his money, is that Luke was a doctor. He was a doctor. Chances are he wasn't her doctor, but he's a doctor nonetheless. And he throws his fellow doctors under the bus. I like, he throws his fellow doctors under the bus. She has been seeing doctors for 12 years who have not been able to help her. And then Luke throws this fastball. They took all her money, but gave her no relief. They took all her money they gave her no relief. Even in the first century, medical care was too expensive. That's, what, that, that's, that's Luke's message to everyone here, I guess. Like, like you know, they, they took all her money. They gave her no relief. Interestingly, in the middle of a different story about Jesus helping someone who had no business being there, we have another person who desperately needs Jesus' help who has no business being here. Jairus was a man who had no business being there because Jairus was part of a crowd of people who were openly antagonistic toward Jesus throughout his ministry. This woman is actually breaking the Jewish law to be around Jesus, to come and find Jesus, to come and touch Jesus. I mean, like, like this, like, I don't, I don't want to get too graphic when it comes to this, but under the Jewish law, women experiencing their time of the month were viewed as ritually unclean and were to avoid others until their bleeding stopped. This woman had been experiencing that pain, that difficulty, and that type of bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years. She had been living in that state for 12 years. By the law, she is making everyone in the crowd unclean because she has brought her unclean around them and brought it to Jesus. And she knows all of that, and she still came to Jesus. She still came to Jesus, and here's what we're told happens after she touches Jesus' robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Jairus has no business coming to Jesus, but Jesus walks with him. This woman has no business coming to Jesus, but Jesus' power heals her. Here's what we have to understand. If you have no business being with Jesus, you belong with Jesus. 
If you have no business because someone has told you you have no business or because your inner voice tells you you have no business or because a conscience that's gotten out of whack tells you that you have no business being with Jesus, you belong with Jesus. Jesus had no qualifications for a relationship with him. There was nothing that kept people away. Jesus wanted everyone to be welcome in his presence. This is so amazing. When a guy who belongs to the group that continuously antagonized Jesus shows up, Jesus welcomes him. When a lady who's unclean shows up and is spreading her unclean to everyone around her shows up, Jesus heals her. People, people who had no business being around Jesus were welcomed by Jesus. Here's the good news for you and the good news for me. People who, are not, who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and Jesus liked them back, which is good news for you. If you're nothing like Jesus, but you're watching today, I'm so glad you're watching. If you think that you're nothing like Jesus, you probably would like Jesus and Jesus would like you as well. If you have no business being in the presence of Jesus, he invites you and he welcomes you in. He wants you to come close. People who have no business being with Jesus belong with Jesus. So instantly her bleeding stopped. And then we're told this in verse 45. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. This isn't just someone touched me. Something happened. Something miraculous happened. Imagine, but just imagine this for a moment. Imagine being the dad desperate enough to come find Jesus despite the fact that you're part of a group that shouldn't be coming to see Jesus. And then Jesus stops walking. Jesus knew this was a moment. Jesus knew that the father would be freaking out and he stops anyway. This is a moment. Something astonishing had happened. He didn't want, to, want this to be a, hey, you got your healing, but I'm moving forward without a relationship type of thing. Jesus wanted to see the face of the one he had healed and he is not moving another inch until he does. Verse 47, we're told, when the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. This is so interesting, isn't it? This is so interesting. She is healed, but she's terrified. She's made well, but she's trembling. Why? Because for 12 years she has been physically unwell and the law has told her over and over and over and over that she is unclean and needs to stay away from others. So while her physical body was healed, mentally and emotionally, she is still shot. She is shot. That's why I love Jesus's response. Jesus wants to bring attention, wants this to be a moment where he sees the face of the person that he's healed and she's worried that he'll be mad and he says to her, look, that's not what this is about. I want you to see the face of the one who healed you. I want you to know that you can be restored. And so he says, daughter, daughter, daughter. In a moment with a single word, Jesus reminds her of who she is. She's a child of God. She's a child of the most high God. That her identity isn't unclean. Her identity isn't what the law has told her, isn't what religious leaders have told her, isn't what the doctors have told her. Her identity comes from God. And then I love the way Jesus concludes talking with. He says, go in, what's that next word? Go in peace. 
go in peace. Not go with all the anxiety you brought here. Not go with all the worry. Not go while you're still feeling unclean. Not go with all of that. Not go being, being fearful. Go in peace. Jesus restored her identity and restores her mental state. See, here's the greatest thing about peace. The easiest way to lose peace is to forget who God says you are. The easiest way to lose peace is to forget who God says you are. With the world screaming about all the things that you need to pay attention to and in a world telling you who you are and who you should be, it's incredibly easy to forget who God says we are. But when we forget who God says we are, we always lose our peace. The best way to regain your peace is to remember and to be reminded of who God says that you are, that you are a son, that you are a daughter of the king, that you are a son, that you are a daughter of God, that you are a child of God. It's amazing. The easiest way to regain your peace, the best way to regain your peace is to remember who God says you are. Now, the story takes a little bit of a dark turn. This is where the word hopeless starts to come in again. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. I mean, that's the ultimate hopeless word phrase, isn't it? Don't bother. Don't bother. This is life though, isn't it? Like, I mean, at one point you have unbridled joy for the woman who has been healed and you have unfiltered sadness for the family who has lost their 12-year-old daughter right back to back. I mean, they're standing next to each other with Jesus in the middle and the, and the, and the, and the family with the daughter who has just died just said, just don't bother. Don't bother. Don't bother. Don't bother. The last flicker of hope has gone out. The story is over. Our little girl is gone. Don't bother anymore. Hope is gone. Hope is gone. See, as, as we talk about faith and space colliding, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with black hole theory or science, but black holes are, are fascinating. Um, Albert Einstein first theorized about the existence of black holes as far back as 1916, um, with the very first black hole actually being discovered about 50, 50 years later in 1964. Um, the science and theory of a black hole, just really simple, and I'll probably mess this up in some ways. The science and theory is that a black hole is a singularity so dense with a force of gravity so strong that nothing, no particles and no electromagnetic radiation such as light can ever escape it. Everything collapses on a black hole. Instead, they're sucked into the singularity resulting in an ever more dense and ever stronger force of gravity. They're called black holes because as we have observed them, they are not empty, but everything, including light itself, is reduced and condensed into an unseeable, completely black singularity. This moment, and the reason I bring that up is this, this moment is a black hole of faith. This is a black hole of hope. Someone came to Jesus with a need, and Jesus stopped to interact with this other woman, good for her, but Jesus didn't make it in time to save Jairus' daughter. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine the frustration? This is a dark moment for this family. They have placed their entire hope and their daughter's life on Jesus' ability to do what no one and nothing else has done, and Jesus didn't come through. I mean, that kind of sadness, that kind of despair has a gravity to it that sucks all light and sucks all hope out of the situation. This is a black hole of hope, and this is a black hole of faith. But verse 50, we're told this. 
When Jesus heard it, when Jesus heard the news, he answered, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. Only believe and she will be saved. And the dad's probably going, I don't, I don't need her to be saved. I need her to be alive. Jesus says, only believe and she will be saved. And this is something important for us to recognize in this story. Jesus never stops, but Jesus often pauses. Jesus never stops, but Jesus often pauses. This dad thought that Jesus had stopped because he didn't make it on his time schedule, because he didn't make it on the girls' time, like, because he didn't make it on the family, like, because something worse happened. Jesus didn't make it in time. Jesus stopped. Jesus knew he hadn't stopped. Jesus knew he had only paused. He was still on his way to help the little girl, that even though the situation now seemed hopeless, he hadn't given up hope because he knew who he was. So often when it's not in our timing, when it doesn't happen how we expected, we think Jesus stopped and that Jesus didn't come through. Jesus never stops and he never stops working for the good of his people. He pauses, he pauses. He doesn't work in our time, he works in his time. He works in his perfect timing. So in those moments, we trust him in the pause. We trust him in the pause and you'll see his promises fulfilled. I mean, just imagine, I mean, like I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. Jesus is going to go and he's going to raise the girl to life. But just imagine if in this moment, the father gets so frustrated and so angry at Jesus that Jesus says, only believe and she will be saved. And the father says, no, 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 I'm good. You stopped. We're going without you. And they don't get to see the miracle because they, because they weren't willing to trust in the pause. This father trusts in Jesus, trusts in the pause, trusts that there still may be something that could happen here. Verse 51, we're told this. After he came to the house, Jesus let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her. But he said, stop crying because she is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Again, this is, this is the black hole, right? The guy we placed our hopes in, he says the story doesn't end here, but we can't get possibly get our hopes up again that something good could come out of this because we can't face the type of devastation if it doesn't happen again. So instead of believing in him, we're going to laugh at him as if he's the one who's really ridiculous. In verse 54, we're told them, so he took her by the hand and he called out, child, get up. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Jesus raises the dead. Jesus raises the dead. Jesus ignores their lack of faith and says to the girl, little girl, get up. And she gets up. Because what was a hopeless situation without Jesus is hope restored, life restored, relationship restored, girl restored to life, family restored to their wholeness, all because of Jesus. Once again, it's hard to find hope in a Jesusless situation. It's easy to find Jesus in a hopeless situation. He's the one who's always working. He's the one restoring hope. He's the one restoring life. He's the one building, rebuilding relationship. He's the one restoring identity. He's the one reminding us of who we were created and called to be. He's the one bringing peace. He's the one bringing light to the black holes of life. It's hard to find hope in a Jesusless situation, but it's easy to find Jesus in a hopeless situation. He's the one working on your behalf, and he's the one who has never stopped working, even in the dark moments, darkest moments of life. Speaking of black holes, speaking of black holes, 
One other interesting note about, about black holes that I conveniently forgot to mention earlier. July 28th, um, just, just a month ago, I was finishing up outlining this series and I was looking up a little bit of, little bit of information about black holes. And I came across this article um, that it could not have been timed better. Uh, it was posted that very day. And here's the headline. Stanford astronomers, Stanford astronomers discover light from the back of a black hole for the very first time. Stanford astronomers discover light from back of black hole for the first time. Interesting, right? I mean, because, because earlier I quoted that nothing, not even light waves, ever survive or escape a black hole's gravity, right? It turns out, it turns out for the last, for the last century, We've just been looking in the wrong place. We haven't been looking with the right telescope. It turns out that over the summer, scientists using an X-ray telescope owned by NASA, known as the New Star, pointed at a black hole 800 million light years away, saw light and the reflection of light on the gases behind the back of a black hole, something no one had ever seen before and something no one thought was really possible. Here's why I tell you that. When you face the black holes of life, Jesus is the light. When you face the situations where, no, everything is collapsing, everything is hopeless, nothing is working, nothing could go right, there is no possibility of anything good happening anymore, Jesus is the light. When you face those moments of just, it's absolute desperation, and we don't know where to turn, and we've tried everything, and nothing good could ever, like, there is no hope, there is no peace, there is no life, there is no joy, there's nothing left good here. Jesus is the good here. Jesus is the one who is working even when you don't think there's anything working. When you face the black holes of life, Jesus is the light working even if you can't see him. When you face the black holes of life in your strength and in your ability, there is no way forward. Jesus is hope. When you face the black holes of life and your heart and your mind is overwhelmed by chaos, Jesus is peace. When you face the black holes of life and you don't think you're strong enough to pull through, Jesus is strength. When you face the black holes of life and you think there is zero chance of provision, Jesus is enough and he provides for you. When you face the black holes of life, Jesus is the light. And no matter how faint it is, and no matter how difficult it is to see, we keep trusting that Jesus is the light and he's working for us. See, with Jesus, here's the closing thought. With Jesus, no situation is hopeless. No one walks alone. And no story is over. With Jesus, no situation is hopeless. No one walks alone. And no story is over. And can I tell you what's true about you right now? When you walk with Jesus, your situation is not hopeless. Because with Jesus, no situation is hopeless, and yours isn't either. With Jesus, when you walk with Jesus, no one walks alone. You think, well, no, I, I don't have anyone by my side. And that may be true physically, but you have a Savior who walks with you through the fire, through the flood, through the storm, through the black hole, wherever you walk. If you're walking with Jesus, you do not walk alone. And if you're walking with Jesus, 
no matter how difficult the story is, it has become, no matter how much it seems like the book has been shut and it's been closed and the author has stopped writing. When you walk with Jesus, the story isn't over because you walk with the author, with Jesus. No situation is hopeless. No one walks alone and no story is over. See, that's who Jesus is. He's the magnet strong enough to overcome the gravity of our sin. He's the one who broke through the atmosphere of life so that we could see God clearly. And he's the light when we face the black holes of life. He is so, 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 so good. He's so good that you can trust him with your life. He's so good that you can know him. He's so good that you can place your trust in him, in his death and his resurrection, for the forgiveness of your sins and to be restored to new life with your heavenly father. That's how good he is. And you can know him and you can know him today. You can put your trust in him. And if you do, that's one small step for you. One giant leap forward for your faith and your connection with God and the rest of your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much today that you are so good. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that you walk with us through the darkest moments of our life. Thank you that you walk with us through the black holes of, of life and the black holes of faith. Thank you that when we face a situation that seems, that seems so hopeless, that seems like there is no light, no joy, no peace, no anything good could possibly come of it. God, you are the God who walks with us and you're the God who never stops working for us. So God, today I simply pray that we would continue to trust you. God, help us to trust you. God, help us to trust you in the pause. Help us to trust you when nothing is happening. Help us to trust you when, it, when, nothing, when there's no progress happening. Help us to trust you when we don't see any forward motion. Help us to trust you when it seems like all hope has gone. Help us to trust that you are the light that's found even in the blackest holes of life. Help us to trust Jesus. Help us to trust that Jesus is our peace Help us to trust that Jesus is our hope. Help us to trust that Jesus is our life. Help us to trust that Jesus is our provision. Help us to trust you and to trust Jesus in every single moment of our lives and to see you working and to see you moving and to see you restoring life and restoring peace and restoring joy and restoring hope and restoring every good thing that you have for us because that's who you are and that's what you do. Help us to trust you. Help us to love you. Help us to follow you every single day for the rest of our lives. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.